Well, all right, family, we are in Count On Me, our final message. Count On Me, our final message. And so Count On Me is our series that we've been in. And that phrase is a wonderful thing to be able to say when you are in love with somebody or when you are when things are going well in your family and you want to show your loyalty or at work you want to show that you're a good hardworking person and say to your boss you can count on me to do this and to do that but the truth is that the longer you walk out a relationship with somebody else and the longer you keep going the harder it becomes to keep saying count on me as i count on you and so our scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verses 12 to 20. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Corinth, <coughs> excuse me, he is warning them against this natural inclination that you and I, that they had, that all people have, that says, um, the second things get hard, I'm going to dip. The second things get hard, I don't want anybody to count on me and I don't want to have to count on anybody else. He says that because we want to isolate ourselves and run away from conflict and problems and things like that, he is writing to them urgently and saying that, no, 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 the way you ought to be is like a body with many parts or many members. And so we can read it, and today we're going to read it from the message translation, which I encourage you to read different translations of our holy scriptures because uh, different translations, you'll get to see different things highlighted, and you'll only benefit from it. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 12 to 24, this is what it says. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells. But no matter what, no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit. We're all come to drink. The old labels that we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, something more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like I, transparent and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. 
But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but it would be a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and, and its and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine I telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired. Your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you're concerned with, it makes no difference whether the, that part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is. Without comparisons, if anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? Whoo-wee. Especially this weekend, as it's Thanksgiving weekend, we need that good digestion. So turn to your neighbor and say, it's a family business. It's a family business because I have been thinking about what to call this message. And because it's Thanksgiving week and because we get to see family, interact with family and all that comes with it, I've called it, it's a family business. You see where there's family, there's drama. Family gets to see all your good, bad, and ugly. You get to see the good and you love them and it's wonderful to be around them. Then you get to see the bad and it's terrifying. It scares you to be around them and makes you nervous about going home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it might be. Then you get to see the ugly and it makes you want to run away. See, family gets to experience all of your weaknesses. It gets to experience all of my weaknesses. If you're a mom or a dad and your weakness is being unable to keep your patience, your family, your kids are going to feel it. If you're a spouse and your weakness is showing uh, no affection or letting go of your pride enough to say that you're sorry, your spouse is going to feel it. Your spouse is going to experience it. At work, if your weakness is meeting deadlines and keeping your word, then your workplace is going to feel it. Your weaknesses are your greatest liability. But with God's help, I'm here to tell you that they can become your greatest advantage. And so I'm telling you, family, don't let your weaknesses keep you from the family business. It starts with weakness. It starts with my weakness. It starts with your weakness. But then they all get to be turned into strength as we learn to surrender them to God and invite him into those areas to do what only he can do. It's a family business because we are united in one name. We have said goodbye to our former lives and said, this is now who I identify with. I identify as a person who is uh, who has said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I will live the rest of my life um, trying to honor him, trying to bring him praise and worship. 
And as we link up with other people who say the same thing, then we become a big body of believers with the same goal after the same heart. And so that makes us a family. And we're out here. The main goal is to get others to also see the love of Jesus and to respond to it. So it becomes a family business. And I'm here to tell you that it all starts with weakness. Even in the most perfect family, um, weakness is highlighted because it gets to be turned into strength. So you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And two-thirds of the Trinity has been given to us and and specifically given to us to serve. And it's so interesting because it all starts with weakness because you could look at Jesus and God could have saved you and I in a second. He could have snapped his fingers and saved us just like that. Boom. And yet Jesus takes the form of a man limited to breathing and limited to one area, one space at a time. Same limitations that you and I have. That's what he chose. Okay, so Jesus was born as a man, lived 33 years, and then gave his life as a ransom for many to save us. Even within that story, he chooses the way of humility. Jesus could have been born as royalty. He could have been born in a huge castle and ruled with a formidable army. And yet he was born among cattle in a manger. He was sent in as a carpenter's son. And he didn't rule with an army. He walked with a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, merchants, just the most random, normal guys you ever met. Then he goes on to do some great things in three years of ministry after he calls some of these guys to follow him. He does some great things. And then he says to them, I'm leaving. In John chapter 16, from verses 5 to 7, you see that Jesus says to them, um, it, is your, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus calls these guys. He tells them to basically drop everything and follow him. These sons, brothers, fathers, these fishermen, tax collectors, family men, they had left their lives to follow Jesus. They put their entire futures at risk because they recognized who they're walking with. They've seen him open blind eyes. They've seen him open deaf ears. They've seen him heal the sick, feed thousands of men and women at once, give incredible teaching sermons, parables that saw people's lives transformed in one instant. And yet he's here saying, it is better for you that I go. Because see, Jesus recognizes that as these guys are about to go into exploits that are greater than what he did, they're going to need the help of Holy Spirit. He says to them, you're going to do greater things than what we did together in these past three years. But he knows that as they set out to to do the mission, as they set out to carry out the things that he's called them to do, they are indeed people. And because they are people, disagreements will happen. Weaknesses will surface. And as that happens, they're going to want to abandon the whole thing and go their separate ways. And he says, because of all of that, we need the helper. We need to send Holy Spirit. 
So it all starts with weakness. When Jesus is sending his disciples out, he is recognizing that they are imperfect, flawed people who will do great things. And thank God that uh, that's not where it ends because he says that though you are imperfect, though you are um, flawed, I am sending you a helper that is going to make up for those areas and then some. Excuse me. And as Christianity is the most diverse global movement of all time in history, it is the most diverse family dynamic on planet Earth. And because it is the most dynamic family on planet Earth, that means there are bigger differences and our issues and our weaknesses and our lack of strength in certain areas can become an even bigger problem in this body than in any other kind of movement or body. So it's a family business, and it starts with weakness. We're going to look at Abraham or Abram in the Bible, and this guy would go on to become the father of many. Billions of people would go on to be blessed because of him and because of how his story played out. But again, I want to remind you that it starts with weakness, and God actually wants to go into the areas of weakness and say, that's where I want to work. We meet. Uh, Abram or Abraham in Genesis chapter 11 um, and his story is basically uh, all of the tens so from 11 all the way to about the mid-20s of Genesis you can find his story and today we're going to jump in uh, at Genesis 15 from verse 1 to 6 and it says here that sometime later the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him do not be afraid Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. By this point, God and Abram had already gone through a whole bunch of things together. And so there's already a relationship started as early as Genesis chapter 11. And so now we find God making him a promise. And in verse 2, Abram replies to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, what good are all of your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so no, uh, so one of my servants will be my heir. Now, this is the first time that you begin to see this kind of tone from Abram. He says, I ain't good enough. He's looking at his circumstances, and he's looking at what is considered to be a weakness in that day and age, and he's saying, what's the point? And he's saying, there is no point. And the Lord says to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up to the sky and count all the stars that you, if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, the next part of this story, we're not going to read it, but I am going to summarize it for you. Because it's a lot, but it is all drama time. I mean, this is family drama, if I've ever heard of family drama. You can read all of this again from Genesis 11 to about 21, uh, everything that I'm talking about today. And so Abram and Sarai, his wife, look at one another and they look at the promise that God made, the promise that said, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. 
They look at that promise and they say, it sounds great, but we're too old. We can't even have a kid. Biologically, we are unable to have a child together. And so in their conversation, they convince one another that it would be a good idea for Abram to sleep with one of his servants. That servant's name was Hagar, and Hagar gets pregnant after Abram sleeps with her. So what we have going on here is Abram gets a promise from God, but immediately looks at his situation, immediately looks at his weakness, and says um, that I'm going to go ahead and try to make it happen all by myself. And Sarai, his wife, is without child, and now Hagar is pregnant, and Hagar begins to give some attitude towards Sarai. She starts saying some mean things here and there, and she begins to grow in contempt. That's what the scripture says towards Sarai. Sarai then goes to Abram and she says, this servant of yours is treating me with contempt and hostility. Do something about it. And Abram says, she is your servant as much as she's mine. You deal with her however you see fit. And so Sarai starts to be mean and retaliates towards Hagar. This leaves Hagar uh, with no choice but to run away. And as she runs away into the wilderness, Hagar has a moment with the Lord, and she comes back before her pregnancy was over into, back into uh, Abram's household. And in Genesis chapter 16, verse 15 says, Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So 86 years old, 86 year old Abram has took it excuse me, has took it upon himself to fulfill God's promise. And now he is a dad for the first time. Now watch what God does. And this is what he is doing for us today and he is what this is what he is saying for us today. In Genesis 17 from verse 1, this uh, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, so this would be 13 years after Ishmael was born, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. It's that same promise again. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground, that God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. Uh, with your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Then in Genesis chapter 17, he continue in chapter 17 from verse 15, it continues and say that God says to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, she will be named, known as Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly. 
and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Now, Abraham hears all of this, and he starts to laugh. Verse 17 says, Abraham bowed down to the ground, ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at age 100? And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So 13 years after Ishmael was born, God visits Abraham again, and he changes his name, and he's entering into another covenant with Abraham and says, serve me faithfully, be about me, and watch how I will bless you. And he says that your descendants, I will give you a son, and through that son, you are going to be known as the father of many, that your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. And Abram still has that same tone where he says, okay, God, that sounds great, but I'm not really seeing it with my wife. And so can you just go on and transfer that blessing to Ishmael, who's already here, who I've had with Hagar, who I wasn't supposed to have him with? And God says, no, just so we're clear, it is Sarah that's going to give birth to make you a father of many. And in Genesis chapter 21 from verses 1 to 3, we see that the Lord keeps his promise. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised, it says. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son, and Abraham named their son Isaac. You see, family, it's easy to give God what is good. It is easy to give him what is honorable, what is considered to be your strength in this life. Partly because maybe you enjoy what you do in certain areas, or maybe it's because you feel that you add the most amount of value in those areas. Or partly when you're using your strengths, that's that's when you get the most amount of compliments. And there's nothing wrong with giving God your best. In fact, it is a biblical principle to give him your first and best. But when it comes to weaknesses, don't shy away from giving him those too. Because the Lord is saying, this is where I want to work. To Abraham, he says that you're going to be a father of many. I am going to bless your socks off. And Abraham Abraham says, all right, God, thank you for that blessing. I don't really see that happening through the wife that I've married to. And so I'm going to go ahead and make it on my own. And God says, no, that same area that you consider to be a weakness, that's where I want to work. That same area that you have deemed to be embarrassing for you, that same area where you say this area is impossible for God's blessings and promises to come true, Those are the areas that I want to attack. Those are the areas that I want to come after. Those are the areas that I want to bless you and others with. And so I'm inviting you, family, because your weaknesses, the areas that you say are dead, the areas that you say are 
uh, your liabilities, the areas that you say those are the areas that keep you from experiencing a full life in Jesus, God is saying, surrender those to me and watch what I will do with them. Those areas, that's where God wants to grow you. That's where God wants you to bless others with. And that's where he wants to bless you. That's what he wants to use others to be drawn near to him. That's where he wants to breathe hope in. That's where he wants to bring life in. It is in those areas where you feel like or where the world has felt like those areas are dead and there's no hope in those areas. Because when you do it, when you do something out of areas where you are good, there's a temptation to take the credit and take the glory. But when you do it and you are finding success and you're bringing others to Christ and you are serving him faithfully, using the areas that you don't want to, using the areas that are considered your weakness, then all the glory goes to him. And so as we conclude our message for today and our series, I am inviting you to identify the traits and areas that get you in trouble because they are deemed a weakness. I am inviting you to surrender those and say, Lord, I'm inviting you into this area to heal, to change, and to bring fruit. Pray with me, family. Father, we give you thanks for these weaknesses that are being surrendered. We thank you, God, that you say to us, just give me what's in your hands and I will bless it and do so much more with it than you ever can. And so, Lord, take this as an act of willful surrender where we say we let go of our weaknesses, of our shame, of our embarrassment, of everything that's been holding us back and say, God, you have your way use it in a way that glorifies you use it in a way that brings others into your glory use it in a way that allows others to see and love you lord father we thank you for all the things that are happening the things that we see the things that we don't see in jesus name we pray amen